I want to start out by just saying that, uh, telling you a little story. Um, so where I work at Honeywell, uh, we've been, they've been hiring a lot of young people um, and uh, people that are like probably just in their early 20s, just getting out of college. And I've really enjoyed that because um, it kind of helps me, I don't know, it makes me feel young, stay young. I mean, I kind of don't even think of, that they, I, I don't perceive of how they perceive of me, I guess. I mean, I just kind of like hang out with them and kind of think, well, I'm like one of them. But, but how I know I'm different is in our language, in our communication, right? I mean, so like we'll be on a business trip or something and after meeting with a client all day or something, we'll be talking and, and we'll be like, hey, where do we want to eat tonight and this and that and someone will bring up something and they'll be like, I'm down with that. And I'll be like, well, I'm up with that, you know? And they're like, well, that's like your generation. But typically, they don't even say, I'm down with that. You know, they'll, they'll be like, I'm down. And I'll like tease them and I'll say like, oh, I'm sorry, you're feeling so set bad, you know? So anyway, that's just one of their Gen Y and Gen Z terms for what used to be, I'm up. Okay, so... Um, so if you want a, t a title for today's message, for all of you who are Gen X or older, then the title today is Wake Up. But for any of those who are Gen Y or Gen Z, then the title for today's message is Stay Woke, okay? <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, um, it's interesting because I just... Um, a lot of times I'm, I don't know, I, I, I don't really have like butterflies in my stomach per se, um, but I've just had a really weird feeling uh, this morning. Yesterday I didn't as I was um, uh, preparing, but, but this morning I did, and I almost am like apprehensive, have feelings of apprehension. And, and I was praying this morning and I was thinking, God, you know, I don't want to feel this way. I just want to feel free to communicate, but I was just thinking the message I'm going to share today is like a dead-eye bullseye on Satan's back, and, um, and so I just wonder if there's some spiritual warfare going on there, <clears throat> because um, today we have an opportunity, we're going to look at Satan's tactics and Satan's strategy for temptation, and um, it's interesting that we're even instructed in the New Testament where Paul says that we, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, I don't want you all to be ignorant of his schemes um, in order that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. And then Peter in 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Uh, other translations say, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And... Um, so we're instructed to, to be aware of Satan's schemes, to, be, to understand his strategies, to just not walk around like with our heads in the sand, like um, everything is just um, peachy keen all the time. And um, so to set the background for, uh, before we start in the text today, um, what we've learned up until now is that... Um, God has spoken his word and things were created from nothing. And uh, we've learned from that that his word is the most powerful force of anything that we could imagine. We learned that God fashioned the man 
uh, and placed him in a beautiful lush garden where he had everything. I mean, all the resources that anyone could need, food, building materials, um, even gold and precious stones. Don't know what he would need those for, but I mean, it, the idea is like he, he had everything that he needed, um, except for one thing. I mean, God said it was all good, except one thing wasn't good. He didn't have a soulmate. And um, so God put Adam to sleep, and then he made a beautiful helper to be Adam's perfect partner in every way. And uh, you could say that the man and woman not only complemented each other, but they completed each other because God called them one flesh. And um, so I just want you to think of that, that state that they were in. It was in perfect, idyllic state um, that they were in when we come to this text this morning. And I'm going to start in um, Genesis 2.25 because that kind of sets the stage um, before we launch into where the serpent enters the picture here. So um, if you have your Bibles, just um, open to Genesis 2, and we'll start in verse 25. And um, we'll read to about verse 5. Um, okay. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we'll just stop right there. <clears throat> So this morning, um, again, the tone of this message may come across as more serious, and um, that's really just that's really just the intention of the text. It's a serious it's a serious subject. Um, what we're talking about this morning is, is dead serious business. And um, <clears throat> if there's some in this room, um, I want to just ensure that if there's anyone in this room that just continue to walk through life buying into the devil's lie, did God really say, <clears throat> and you will not surely die. These are two of his primary lies, okay? Um, then you are just walking under a cloud of deception. And, uh, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, when I was at college, I came to a point, well, I've talked about this before in my testimony, where I repented of my sinful living, and I prayed to God to forgive me of my sins, and I trusted in Christ's death on the cross um, as payment for my sins, and I asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And it was like night and day for me. I mean, literally, it was just like the Holy Spirit filled me, and I became hungry for his word. I became hungry to grow. I, became, I wanted to grow in my faith. Um, and that was, it was a break between, um, I was home for Christmas break but, of my sophomore year, and, uh, <clears throat> and then I went back um, after Christmas break, my sophomore year, and um, my experience after that was very interesting. Um, so I went to school 
in the southeast. And um, some would call that the Bible Belt, right? And um, what I found interesting is that as I would interact with people after, after uh, my salvation, um, I ran into many people on the campus there um, that grew up in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches that considered themselves Christians. Um, and many of these people were my old party friends and um, <clears throat> before I accepted Christ. Um, but yet their lives in no way lined up with the things that I was now reading in the Bible. And um, they had no desire to get to know God. They had no desire for the things of God, and they had no desire to follow Christ. And so I just thought, this is an interesting observation. Um, how can all these people be Christians? <laughs> uh, that You know, oh, I'm a Christian. Uh, but it's like, that's not what I'm reading about, you know? That's not what the Christians in this book seem to be like, you know? And um, <clears throat> so why I share the story is because um, we need to pay particular attention this morning. Um, I know a lot of you might not remember, some of you do, but um, some of you might remember um, Muhammad Ali, right? How many remember, know Muhammad Ali? Okay. How many of you know George Foreman? How many of you know that George Foreman didn't just make um, the, the grill? Okay. Okay. So, so he used to be a boxer too, right? And so in, um, I think it was 1974, um, Muhammad Ali was not quite in his prime as much anymore. George Foreman was, was coming into his prime, and they were going to have a big fight. Okay, and so um, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, he used to come up with all these like fun little isms, you know, and, and, and poetic things about his opponents. Well, he came up with a strategy for that fight. Does anyone remember what it was called? The rope-a-dope, yes. So, so, he, uh, <clears throat> so he would be talking to the media and say like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to rope-a-dope George Foreman. And uh, <clears throat> so what his strategy was, was he would just kind of like lean against the ropes for most of the fight and just let George Foreman just wail away against him as he, you know, would just kind of protect himself until George Foreman got tired. And so I think it was about the eighth round that Muhammad Ali was like, looked across the ring and saw that guy is, he's about out of gas. So Muhammad Ali comes out and then just like, boom, 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 George Foreman's knocked out. And so um, I think after the fight, he said something like, um, I, I leaned on the ropes and I knocked out the dope. And so, um, but this is what, um, this is what the devil, um, he's crafty. And I think that this is what he's done to many people that just grow up in, in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Um, <clears throat> basically lulls people into sleep. He's crafty. He's wily. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And my fear is that the devil has rope-a-doped a lot of people into this way of thinking that have grown in churches, believing something like this. Hey, I know what the gospel is. I've heard it all my life, but right now I'm just going to 
have a good time, and when I'm ready to settle down, then I'll just turn to Jesus and ask him to save me. And I hope that doesn't describe any of you this morning, but if it does, I want to just point out three things that I want you to know. One is that God says, do not be deceived because God will not be mocked. And that type of thinking has, a, has an arrogance to it. And, um, and it has an attitude that is in a sense mocking God. And God will not allow you to mock him in that way. Um, number two, um, Isaiah 66, two tells us the kind of person that God will allow to come to him. And here's what it says. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And that's not the attitude of the person I was describing there. And then number three, asking for God's forgiveness is a gift from God himself. And if you're relying on your own fortitude to ask for some kind of false forgiveness, that is not a prayer that God will grant. Um, it's just a lie of the devil to think that at any point in time, you're just going to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and repent and believe. And so if there's anyone in this room that is just living under the devil's deception that, uh, yeah, you know what? I know the gospel, um, so I'm just going to pull the trigger on that at such and such time when I need to get saved. But for right now, I'm just going to kind of live my life the way I want to. Do not be deceived. Um, so, um, let's move on. Um, actually, oh, and I, did, I read that. So, in Genesis 1, we saw that the Word of God was the powerful means of creation. Um, everything achieved its fixed place in the universe because it obeyed God's Word. Um, Psalm 33, 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. And then in Genesis 2, we see where the word of God is where the word of God was formulated into the first commandment that God gave for the humans to obey. And then now in Genesis 3, for the first time, we're going to see that the wording and meaning of the word of God comes into question. Um, what's interesting is we brought this out, you know, before, but just the time in history where God introduced his, his word to, to his people, you know, they had just... Um, Cross the Red Sea. Um, he's preparing them to go into the promised land. He's getting ready to set them up as a nation, and he's giving them law. He's getting ready to give them laws, right? The Torah and everything. And so the story of Genesis is part of that. And if you think about the wisdom of God um, giving them this story about how the serpent deceived Eve by questioning the word of God and and, and, and he's getting ready to lay out his words to all these people. I mean, it's, uh, put yourself in their shoes, and you would think this would be a very timely lesson that the word of God is not something that we should question, that we want to question. But we see that this is something that um, the adversary is going to do as part of his strategy. So let's, um, let's just uh, start with a word of prayer that God would help our minds to be alert this morning. Heavenly Father, um, you know all of our hearts, God, in this room. And um, Lord, you know that our hearts aren't 
uh, in this fallen world, our hearts might, aren't necessarily perfect towards you. Um, and to some varying degree, we, we could be deceived. Lord, God, I pray that if any are deceived to the point that um, they have not, Lord, turned from their sin, uh, turned from just not believing and trusting in you as their Savior, God, that they would do that this morning, Father. Um, just call out to you um, to save them. And Lord, um, I pray, God, that there may be some in this room that are being deceived to think that we can just kind of like hang on to some of our favorite sins, Lord, and, and walk around and, um, and that that's it's not hurting anybody. But yet, God, you say that the wages of sin is death. And that's the truth. It always brings death in some way. And God, so it is hurting something. We might believe it's not. Well, really, it's not true. The devil's lying to us. And, um, and so, God, I just pray that you'd help us to be alert this morning as you have given us your word here and you've chosen to tell us this story, this true story, so that we could understand the schemes of the devil so that we would not be ignorant of his ways, Lord. So, God, help us to understand his ways this morning um, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> so the reason we're starting in Genesis 2.25 here is because um, I just kind of want to show what Adam and Eve's had before their sin, okay? Um, and I want to start out by showing how this word, how um, Moses structured this, the wording here, right? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, right? So he uses like a, um, emphasizing the positive by stating the negative, okay? That would be like if you, um, if you were at some event last night and a fight broke out and then you were talking to someone this morning back in the back before church started, you said like, wow, I was at this thing last night and there was no small stir. What you were really saying is like, there was quite a brawl. You know, you're, 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 you're saying it, emphasizing the positive by stating the negative. And so what, what, um, what Moses is really saying is, Far from being ashamed before each other, they were perfectly comfortable with one another. They were perfectly at ease with one another. With one another. And um, they enjoyed a perfect integrity with each other to an extreme degree. Um, what's amazing about this, as you think about it, is that was God's goal. That was God's goal for the husband and wife relationship. <clears throat> I mean... It would be neat to experience what that would feel like, okay? <clears throat> I know that we're never going to get there on this earth because we have sin. We have the flesh. Um, but that is God's goal. And as couples, we should strive for that. 
But um, to imagine what that was like is, is just kind of in my mind, it's, it's almost just amazing. They were walking in full uprightness and integrity. There was nothing that either of them had any thoughts of hiding from one another. Um, so I just wanted to start here because I think it needs to be emphasized what God intended for relationships before sin. Um, because how many of us, even if we've been walking with the Lord for, for years, would still shrink back from allowing people to know the deepest corners, uh, secrets in our hearts? Um, you may even open up to your spouse. That might be the person that you um, are the most open with. Um, but you may still have sensitive spots that you're like, uh, not quite going to open up there. Um, and I think we can all acknowledge that we have some of those spots. And uh, I just wanted to contrast that with um, that Adam and Eve had none of those. They had none of those um, before sin. Okay? After sin, it all changed. Um, so they were living in complete, unabashed openness with one another. <clears throat> so another thing that Moses does to contrast this scene um, is um, he kind of does this play on words here, okay? Um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but, you know, I, I kept reading different writers, and they all kept pointing this out, so I thought, okay, well, I'll point it out too then. Um, uh, so... so uh, the Hebrew in the Hebrew, the word naked is the word arumen, arumem, and then the word for crafty for the serpent. But the serpent was more crafty, is this word arum. So it's like got the root word arum and the word for naked arumem. And um, the point of that is that um, arum, meaning crafty or shrewd, is normally seen as a positive. And let me try to explain how they how they go together. So. Um, that word crafty in Proverbs talks about kind of being a shrewd person, right? It, God is encouraging us to be a shrewd person rather than to be an ignoramus or a simpleton. And, um, uh, but the serpent, the problem is he's using his craftiness for an evil purpose. And, uh, but the word carries itself, the, carries the idea of knowing where the dangers are so that you can avoid them. Okay, that's what Proverbs is encouraging. Be a shrewd person that you can see where the dangers are so you can avoid them. And the reason why it uses the word arumum for the word naked is because it wants you to have the idea that um, in that perfect world where Adam and Eve lived, they um, were oblivious to the dangers. They, they didn't need to, they didn't need to, there were no, there were no dangers that they needed to, be aware of. So they were just, they were walking in complete nakedness, oblivious to dangers, but here was this snake who was crafty. Um, <clears throat> so who is this serpent, right? <clears throat> so here we go again with um, uh, trying, to, trying to take the text of what um, God is saying. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to answer this question by prefacing it with these three words in my understanding, okay? Because again, um, this is one of those things where there's some latitude of thought on the matter, 
that has slight variation that many people have said, I think the serpent's this and the serpent's that. The serpent is Satan. The serpent is Satan taking the form of a snake or the, the serpent is Satan, um, what's the word? Uh, indwelling the serpent, okay? And so um, I'll just tell you my thoughts on June, whatever it is, 2019, my thoughts could change the more I learn and the more I study, you know, as I get older. But um, uh, as of today, <laughs> I feel like the serpent is right now is, is Satan himself, okay, in serpent, in serpent form. But, um, but I could also understand how this could be the serpent who is indwelt by this is just a a beast an animal a actual snake who is indwelt by satan and being used by satan for this purpose um, kind of like when jesus was there with the pigs and the demons and he said hey the demon said hey can you like send us into those pigs over there and jesus said yes go into those pigs and then the they indwelt the pigs and the pigs ran off the cliff so <clears throat> so um the point I want to make about this is this isn't really the most important thing of the story here. The important thing of the story is the dialogue between the serpent and the woman, okay? And what's behind it is Satan, okay? Um, why do, now, why do we believe that Satan is the one behind it? Um, um, well, so I encourage everyone to write down... Um, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. These are two passages that um, uh, are kind of these passages that kind of have a double reference. They talk about, Isaiah 14 is talking about the king of Babylon. Ezekiel 28 is talking about the king of Tyre. But then there's references in there that are talking about, as they talk about those kings, they talk about a being that, could not be the king of Tyre. For example, in Ezekiel 28, um, it says um, that you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then it goes on from there. Well, the king of Tyre was not in Eden, the garden of God, because he wasn't even living yet. Um, uh, so many people, including myself, believe that Satan was and that he was in Eden, the Garden of God, and I believe he was in, in this snake here. Um, also in Isaiah 14, <clears throat> well, there's other reasons too, but you see that um, part of the snake's MO, if you will, is, you know, he's saying, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What is the snake doing here? He's slandering God. Slander is when you are attributing a false statement to someone to degrade their character. Um, uh, that's typical. I, I don't know if you all are aware, but the Greek word for slander is diabolo, which is devil. And that's, that is what the devil does. He slanders God. Um, and then in Isaiah 14, um, again, it's talking about um, the king of Babylon, but 
that goes on to say, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, and then there's these five I will statements, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what the serpent is promising Eve if she bites, takes a bite of the fruit. And so um, this is why, you know, we attribute that Satan is behind this whole um, scene here in the, in the garden. Um, we're told by Jesus in the New Testament that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And we know that ultimately his aspirations are really far above getting the woman to sin. He wants to vault himself above God. Um, now... When we have the A and I time, I just want to put something to rest before we get there. If the question comes up, um, so uh, when did Satan fall in relation to the text? I'll just put this out there right now. Nobody knows, okay? Because God doesn't tell us. And the approach that we've talked about taking is if God doesn't tell us, then we're just going to submit ourselves to the wise counsel of God and, uh, and that if it were profitable for us to know, then we would discuss it. But if he doesn't tell us, then we're not going to just go off into, you know, hours of speculation. So um, we don't know the answer to that. Um, so back to the important thing. If I say serpent or Satan, I'm probably just using those things interchangeably this morning, okay? Um, either one, if it's the serpent talking, it's... Satan talking through the serpent or it's Satan talking. It's, it's just, it's coming. Satan is behind it all. It's his, it's his words, okay? Because um, the important thing is what we're focusing on is the words that are being spoken to deceive the woman and how Satan, the father of lies, is going about his work of temptation. That's what we want to look at. Um, so one thing we see here is that the temptation came in the form of a disguise, right? So right off the bat, you know, Eve is just walking about and she runs into this snake and this snake strikes up a conversation with her, right? Well, that's probably, well, running into a snake is not surprising to her, right? Because the snake is one of the creatures that God created. Um, that, that she's supposed to have dominion over. Um, it wasn't like she's walking around and then this guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork shows up that she'd never seen before. And she'd be like, who are you, you know, right? So, so Satan, I mean, that's typically how temptation works. It's, it's, it's not just like blatant. It's not like, hey, I am going to like, here's how the temptation comes and, and with a red flashing lights or something. It's typically in disguise. Um, so, uh, so right now, um, this serpent um, strikes up a casual conversation with her. So how many of you right now are thinking, why are serpents talking? See, I, I knew you'd think that. I knew it. 
Well, and again, the text doesn't tell us. God does not tell us why the serpent is talking. And why did Eve not give out a loud shriek when the snake started talking to her and run as fast as she could? I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? It indicates to me that she wasn't shocked. She was not surprised that this snake was talking to her. And so I don't know if, I don't know if some creatures could talk in the Garden of Eden and now they can't. And I don't know, but whatever happens, whatever happens to you who might be thinking like, why is that snake talking? Do not fall for this. Did God really say that? Because God did say that. And the serpent was talking. And why animals don't talk now, why this serpent was talking then, is because that's the way it was. And if you go, did God really say that? Then you've just fallen for God's, for, for Satan's first, first lie. Um, so now you may be thinking this morning, or maybe you've thought in the past, why did the serpent go after the woman? We were having this dialogue yesterday uh, around um, the table, and um, uh, it's not because the woman was inferior. Okay, I'll put that to rest. It's not because she was emotionally unstable or had some inherent weakness. In fact, um, uh, there were no vulnerabilities in the woman. She was created perfect, okay? Um, the woman had no inherent weaknesses or fallenness in her that Satan could get a handle on, okay? That's, so that's not the reason he was like, oh, I'll go after the woman, you know, she's the weaker. Nope, that's not the reason. Um, but I'm gonna give a couple um, thoughts um, that may hold weight as to why um, <clears throat> he chose to go after the woman first, not Adam. And um, the one, I mean, uh, it, I mean, God doesn't come out straight up and say like, hey, this is why, this is why um, the serpent went after the woman. But I think you can de deduce some things from the text as to, as to what happened here maybe. Um, but I don't know that we can just be straight up dogmatic on it. Okay, but the first thought is this, that Adam insufficiently imparted God's word to Eve. Okay, uh, we don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that that could be feasible because we see here in just a few minutes how Eve's understanding of God's command was when she kind of quoted it back to the serpent, her understanding of what God's command was in Genesis 2 verse um, 16 and 17 was inaccurate. Um, so I am predisposed positively to that um, thinking. Um, but like I said, I can't be dogmatic because God didn't say, hey, this is why Eve said that. It was because her husband didn't give her the right knowledge. Okay. But I think that we can take away something from this as men. Okay. Um, there's something we can learn from this, right? Um, as God has commanded, because God, God has commanded men, right? We know in the New Testament, he says, if you're a father, he says, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, he says, if you're a husband, sanctify our wives by cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. And even though um, Paul is saying this to Timothy, 
uh, in just his letter to Timothy, he says to be careful to correctly teach the word of truth. That obviously applies in both those situations as husbands and fathers. So um, this is to the men. Um, I can't emphasize enough how important this is uh, because you can see how with Eve's inaccurate um, understanding of God's command, it contributed to her downfall, okay? So here are some straight-up takeaways for us men. Are we protecting our families from inaccurate and false teaching? Um, are we being alert to what we ourselves, our wives, and our children are being exposed to relative to the Word of God, whether that be books they're reading or on TV or radio or even at school, if they go to a Christian school, what are they teaching at that Christian school or, or church activities? Um, the main thing is if something doesn't sound right, then communicate and talk things through. Um, we even encourage you all, if something doesn't sound right from what we're saying, let's communicate about it. You know, like, well, you, you, you said this and that doesn't sound right or that's not my understanding of it, and, and let's talk those things through. Um, so uh, I, I guess it's just interesting, but just from studying this and seeing how important it is to accurately understand the Word of God has kind of given me a new vigor to, to realize how vigilant I need to be to make sure that I am protecting my family from inaccurate teaching. Um, so that, that's a, that is an exhortation to the men. Um, the second one is this. So now that I've handed one to the men, I'm going to um, gently hand one to the ladies. Um, and again, if you guys are like, yeah, I don't, I disagree with you, then <laughs> let me know. But um, so... Satan knew that he had to topple the integrity of both the man and the woman, okay? And so, so rather than, I mean, this may be more of an opinion of mine, but rather than go for the man first, he knew that if he could turn Eve, he was more than halfway home. And the reason I think this is because I believe that, um, that you ladies have an incredible amount of power in our lives. And, and I mean that in a good way. I mean that like, um, our spouses have, you just, you have an incredible amount of influence in, in a husband's life. Um, and um, I think part of even Adam's downfall, I think that Satan knew, like, if I can turn Eve, then there's a good chance that Adam's going to go along with that because, you know, she has influence in his life. And, um, and uh, so, I don't know. I don't know if you men agree with me or not, but that's my experience. So, um, so why should this sober the ladies? Um, the reason I say that is because when our adversary tempts you to sin, it might not be that he's trying to get at you. It might be that he's trying to get at someone in your family. It might be that he's trying to get at your husband or he's trying to get at your children. Um, I know that also applies to the men as well. I mean, 
Um, I know that if God can get either parent and destroy a life, then it has collateral damage all the way through a family. So, um, so I, I don't discount that either. Um, and I want to share this one story that actually shows that. This is a true story, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's devastating. It really is. This, is. this is a true story, but every verse that needs to be memorized in a home is John 10.10. 10. And, and most of you probably know it. It says, the thief, which is Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Well, this is a, a book. Um, I can't remember the name of it right off the bat, but it's basically like a, a biography of, of a guy who um, was a strong Christian guy, grew up in a Christian home, was a leader in the church of ministries and things and everything. When he was in his mid-40s, his parents that had been married like, I don't know, 30 or more, 30 plus years, his dad came over one night and said, son, I need to talk to you. And I was like, I've fallen out of love with your mom and I've um, fallen in love with another woman and we're getting divorced. And um, the son, I mean, it just took him, it just knocked him completely down. And the son was just, actually, it sent the son into a tailspin. Um, the son was just, he did not recover from it. He just was like, he went through all of that. If there is a God, how could God let this happen? I mean, my parents were like leaders in the church, and they brought me up in a Christian home. They were the ones telling me that God is good and this and that, and how could my dad fall out of love with his wife and run off with another lady? I mean, all of this stuff happened to this guy. Anyway, bottom line is he ended up becoming an atheist. He had a family. He brought his wife on board as an atheist. And now, I mean, multiple generations. It's just, I mean, it's, um, um, I think, I think the end of that story is he's come back to some level of agnosticism or some form of belief of something. It's not, it's not really Christian belief. It's something like some made up, like this is what I, kind of like making up a God for how he can understand a God that fits for how he can fit God into his understanding now um, because God is not the kind of God that, <laughs> that we would believe. So anyway, um, that, is, that is sobering. I mean, I, I cannot, I, I'll never forget that story. It, it is just that our, the wages of sin is death. I mean, that is true. The wages of sin is death. And um, something is going to die. Something is going to pay. The, the, the wages pay. There's going to be payment. I mean, and it's not always going to be just like in eternity. There's, sometimes there's payment here on the, on the earth. Um, so 
Um, <clears throat> now let's move on to looking at Satan's strategy. <clears throat> so we talked about how um, he kind of came in, in disguise, um, but I'm going to break this down into two big points, just, just two points. Um, the overarching thing is that we want to understand the schemes of the devil uh, so that we can be alert to them. The number one thing is that temptation raises questions about the Word of God, okay? And we'll start off by noticing this word, actually. It says here, um, he said to the woman, did God actually say? Um, what Satan is doing here is he's beginning the conversation with a scoff, okay? Um, uh, I was reading somewhere where actually that word actually is kind of like translated. Um, it's a hard word to translate. It's almost like a, like a, like a noise, um, but it, um, it could almost be like translated like a rolling of your eyes. So if you could like draw a symbol of rolling your eyes next to the word actually, that's kind of what Satan's doing. Like, did God, <laughs> or he's, or he's kind of going like, oh, please. Um, did God actually say? Um, and has anyone ever been involved in gossip? You don't have to raise your hands. Okay, okay. Um, if you've ever been involved in gossip, you know how tempting it is to get involved in a conversation when it started out with, did, did I hear that so-and-so actually said that? You know, and that's kind of what Satan is doing here with Eve, okay? He's kind of like, hey, Eve, did, did God actually say that um, this? And so it's almost like he's kind of like, come on over here. Let's, let's have this conversation between you and me. We'll have this conversation about God. And this is Eve's first mistake. Um, uh, and oftentimes it's our first mistake. Um, is there anywhere in the Bible that we're told to engage in a conversation with Satan to discuss the validity of God's word? Um, if you all think so, you can bring that up, but I don't think there is. I see verses like Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. And then verses like resist the devil and he will flee from you. And verses like flee youthful lusts. None of these verses have the idea of hanging around and having a conversation. Um, I love this quote by John Piper. Okay. Um, some lustful thought or some image comes into your mind and you've got about five seconds to decide whether you're going to let it take over or whether you're going to push on with, no, you're out of here. In Jesus' name, you're out of here. And I don't know, where, when, when I, I'd heard that a long time ago. I just looked it up again yesterday because I remember that quote about five seconds. And I just realized it's true. If you, if the devil starts doing this questioning of God's word and you don't immediately say, no, we're not going to have that conversation, it's almost like it's over at that point. You know, once you start engaging, uh, once you start engaging the devil on his field, 
it's, it's, from my experience, it's pretty much over. Um, so that's E's first mistake. And, um, and how it works in my own life is um, you start to entertain that conversation in your head, and there's back and forth and back and forth. And you think like, well, I can entertain this for a little while longer, and in the end, I'll just say no, and it just doesn't work that way. Um, so let's continue on. The next thing Satan does is he reduces God to an impersonal being. <clears throat> and if you just notice from looking at your Bibles there, <clears throat> in chapter 2, it's always the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. That word is Yahweh. That's really God and his personal, that's, that's the, the personal God. And Satan is talking, um, uh, he's, when he's talking to the woman, he's saying, did God, he's trying to depersonalize. He's not saying, did the Lord God actually say? No, he's saying, did God actually say? He's just using God in his name and the general name of God. Um, and then you'll see that... Um, um, Eve actually kind of comes back to him on those terms. Um, so um, perhaps you've been pulled into conversations with people as well, and when they're talking about God, they try to keep him at this concept level, right? Um, and that, that's a mistake right there, right? Um, if God is kept at this concept abstract level, then the conversation usually involves God's words being up for debate. Um, but if God becomes personal, all of a sudden the stakes become a lot higher for everyone. Um, because if God is just a concept, then his words are, are not, um, they're not really accountable. You're not really accountable to them. Um, so that's, we need to learn from that to not let Satan take us to a point or even in conversations with other people to where God is, is, is talked about as a concept. Um, there are people that are very skilled at speaking and making arguments, but do not be intimidated by them or let them scoff in your ear, has God really said, um, just don't take that bait. Um, a quote from an old Puritan goes like this, many are the philosophers who are in hell who are brilliant, and many are the Christians who are in heaven who are simpletons, and um, God, God doesn't. I mean, God would rather us just be simpletons, and and have faith than, and again. But you'll see, Satan is going to try to allure this the woman into wanting to have that knowledge. Um, but God doesn't. God doesn't commend us for that. And then the serpent begins to alter the words of God. So if you could line up with what God commanded in chapter 2, and I'll just say that right now. Here's what God said in chapter 2. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay, so if you could line that up um, with what Satan says here, we see that Satan completely deleted God's emphatic command for, for how to eat, okay? And um, what I'm talking about is um, he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
okay? But what God said is, you may surely eat. And, and what I want to stress here is because I'm going to stress it later, that verb surely, surely eat, he uses it again later, surely die. It's, it's, in, um, uh, it's, it's in this form, this infinitive form, which really what he's saying is eat sumptuously. I mean, like eat to your heart's content is what it would be like. God is saying like, hey, you shall eat freely. Actually, some translations say eat freely. I mean, so it's just like you shall eat to your heart's content. Um, uh, I was on a business trip like six months ago in New Jersey and after work, we all went to a Brazilian steakhouse and um, they had this little like thing, this wooden thing and you, uh, one side was green, one side was red and if you wanted them to keep bringing food to your table, you just flipped it over to green and um, you just keep it on green all night long and they'll just keep bringing food. That's what God was saying to Adam and Eve. Just keep that baby on green, okay? <clears throat> that, that is what he was saying to them. And Satan was twisting those words and he omitted that. And he's like, um, wow, it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna alter God's words here. Um, so the serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he uses a lot of God's words, so it sounds close, but he alters them just enough to make it sound very confusing. And it is intentionally confusing, I believe. Um, and it sounds like he's saying, hey, Eve, is it true that you can't eat anything? Is that what I heard through the grapevine? Because if you look at what he says, he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, it... It, if I was the woman, I'd be confused too. And I'd almost think that he's saying like, did God say you can't eat anything? You know? Um, so I think Eve's kind of like getting frustrated here. Um, but now we see her engage with a serpent. And um, whereas if she would have followed the five second rule, she could have just said, you vile beast, I have dominion over you. Um, how dare you question God's word, flee. Um, but of course, this is Eve's first encounter with Satan, so she wasn't quite aware of his tactics yet either. Um, so the second mistake Eve makes is that she minimized God's command to eat freely. Um, rather than repeat that they could surely eat, she just said that they may eat, and she actually doesn't use the same the same verb tense there. She just says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, um, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So anyway, she just kind of, she didn't, she didn't actually take what God said. She kind of minimized it to, uh, so which Satan's kind of getting her little twisted there. And, um, and I think we do the same thing. I think a lot of times, we minimize uh, God's commands um, to us. I think that um, a lot of times his commands to us are clearly black and white, and we, and we know they are. And, um, but we intentionally like turn them into gray. We, we turn them into something that's gray 
so, and, and once we get it to gray, we've kind of created a new like man-made gray command that we can follow um, in order to feel good about ourselves. I was trying to think of an example of this. Um, maybe you guys can talk about it in your A&I times, but um, just think about that. Um, you know, he'll, there might be some command that we think like, oh, that's, that's over the top, that's too much. So we'll just kind of like take the edges off and then make it fit something that we think that we can do. So, and, and, and then we kind of like make it homemade for us. And so we minimize God's commands like she was doing. The third mistake she makes is that she isolates the tree of which she cannot eat, and then she starts to fixate on it. Does that sound familiar? If I could have like a private conversation with you all, I could explain what all that means. But um, it's almost like when we start having that conversation with the devil about that no-no that we are like, he's like, hey, hey, what about this? And as soon as you engage and you start thinking about it, and you start having that conversation with him, then all of a sudden, that becomes larger than life. And all the other stuff around you goes away. And like, there's all this good stuff around you. I mean, what happens is there's all these beautiful trees and beautiful fruit all around that she could eat. But all of a sudden, she's fixated on the fruit from that one tree in the middle of the garden, you know? And um, she's just got to have that one, you know? And... Um, and that's what happens, again, this is in my experience, that would, that's what happens um, in my experience as well. And um, so I am thinking that you guys have been there as well, um, where you, once you allow that conversation to happen in your head about whether you should or shouldn't do something that is against God's word, the longer you entertain the conversation, the greater the desire builds basically. And that's why I think John Piper's saying, like, you got five seconds, and you got to say no, because if you keep it around, the desire is just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, and you're going to fixate on it more and more. Okay, the fourth thing Eve does is she adds to God's prohibition by forgetting God's command to cultivate it. So, and you guys have seen this before. I'm sure you've all thought the same thing. I used to think it all the time when I'd read it. She said, um, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. I don't remember God saying you can't touch it in chapter 2. In fact, he told them that they were supposed to cultivate everything in the garden. Well, I mean, if you cultivate something, you're normally like pruning something. You're like grabbing branches and cutting. and you're. I mean, so God didn't say they weren't supposed to cultivate that tree. Uh, he didn't say that. So my understanding is that they needed to touch it to cultivate that tree as long as well as all the other plants and, and, and trees in the garden. So, um, so in my understanding, um, she, uh, she added to the prohibition of, of um, that was another mistake she made. And then the fifth mistake she makes is that she minimizes sin's consequences. And again, this is back to that verb. Um, he talked about you shall surely eat, but then God says, 
when you eat of it, you shall surely die. And again, it's in that, um, <clears throat> I forget what form I said, indicative, imperative, infinitive, okay? Um, but what that what this would be like God saying, in the day you eat of it, you will be deader than dead, okay? Like, you will surely die. But what Eve says is, well, what God said was, neither shall you touch it or eat of it, lest you die. And again, she's not, she's not, she's not saying it in the same great, with the same gravity, doesn't carry the same weight of the penalty of death that God gave in chapter two. Um, so all of that has to do with the temptation raising the questions about um, the word of God. Um, I'm almost done, even though I'm just getting to number two, but it's, it's about done here. Um, so when you think about raising questions about the word of God, this, that's really the first point, but really it could start and end right there, okay? I've I just been meditating on that this week. If we, if we really, I mean, think about this, right? We believe in our heads that God's word is the most powerful force of anything. We, we've been reading this. We've been going over this, and God spoke things into existence. So we all agree, right, that, wow, his word is the most powerful force. He can just speak it, something out of nothing, um, and then we believe in our heads that God's word created the universe. Um, but we need to take God's word at face value and we start to hear that voice questioning God's word. Did God really say? We need to not engage in a conversation because we'll always come out on the losing end. And um, so it could, it could start and end right there if we would just never allow ourselves to question the Word of God. Um, but the devil goes on in this passage to where the temptation then starts to raise doubts about God's integrity. So the first thing the serpent does is he denies God's Word. And um, when he goes on to say, um, serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die now, the serpent did use God's words, the, the gravity of you shall not surely die. <clears throat> but he says it in a negative. He says, you will not surely die. And that is the age-old lie of Satan that there's no punishment for disobedience, that the wages of sin is not death. I mean, that is, that is a flat-out lie um, that... that um, the wages of sin is not death, and the wages must not be paid. They don't need to be paid. Um, so now he's going to minimize God's being when he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's happening here is that the serpent is raising doubts about the integrity of God in order to justify disobedience. And... Um, his explanation of God's motive in giving them the command was that God was jealous and was holding something back from them. I think what's, um, again, when, when, we, when we get into that stage where we're doing this thing in our head and questioning and should I or shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I, um, honestly, we get to this point where we really do, it's almost like we forget all the good 
that God has given, all the blessings, and that's what's going on here. God, Satan is trying to get Eve to focus on, I gave you all the, don't focus on all the food and the gold and the precious stones and the everything, and I gave you a soulmate even, and I gave you all of this, but there's one thing that God's holding out on you, you know, and that's, that's not a good God. I mean, there's something that could elevate your life to a better place, and he doesn't want you to have it. I mean, he, and if you think about it, the serpent is flat out saying, God is lying to you. Um, just think about this for just one minute. So it seems preposterous that Eve would fall for that lie, right? I mean, Satan's not coming, he's not coming, well, he's not, he didn't come straight out and say, hey, Eve, God is lying to you. But he really kind of is when he says, hey, I'm telling you, you shall not surely die. Um, and we're thinking, um, well, maybe Eve would fall for that, but in reality, um, I, I wouldn't. But just, I just want you guys to meditate on this maybe today or then this week. In reality, when we choose sin over God's good word, over his clear commands, are we not really doing the same thing? Aren't we really questioning God's integrity in a, in a very real sense saying, I'm not so sure God isn't lying to me. I'm not so sure he may be holding something back from me that I need in my life. And even though we don't think about it like that, we don't really, because as we'll get into next week, normally we like, we fixate on the thing. We like grab the fruit, take a bite and it's done, you know? But really what we're, what has brought us to that point is we're, we're saying, God, you're a liar. You're lying to me because I need that fruit. Um, so the last thing is, um, at this point, the woman's at a crossroads. Will she believe the words of God or will she believe the words of the serpent? But like I said before, when she started to engage the serpent, it was over, okay? And, um, and then I want us to notice that we don't hear anything else from the serpent after his last statement. Um, and, 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 and it's not like, and from my experience, and, you know, again, I... We're going to go do children's church, so we won't be in the A&I times, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. But the serpent is not, we don't have it recorded here that the serpent's like, after he says this last line, he's like, come on, eat, 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 grab the fruit, eat, eat. You know, he doesn't like do that. He doesn't prod her. It's almost like as if the serpent says the last thing and then just is like, good day you know, and then just like leaves her to have to like sweat it out and go like, oh, who should I choose? I mean, is God, mm, man, you know, and that's kind of like, from my experience, you know, it, you come to that crossroads and um, then, so anyway, what happens is, Satan plants those seeds of deception and then he walks away. And um, so let's, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, 
I trust that we've learned something this morning about our adversary, God. And um, really the most important thing is, God, that we um, need to understand that we need to not engage our adversary um, with respect to your word, um, with respect to your character. And God... um, God, I pray that um, if there are some in this room, God, that um, that feel deceived in a sense to where you've been deceiving them for most of their lives <clears throat> and that they might um, not know you completely. They, they don't know you as their Savior that they would call out to you this morning and say, God, save me. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. And thank you for taking the penalty of my sins. Thank you for paying the price with your precious blood on the cross. And God, if there's some that just um, just keep playing footsie with the devil, Lord, Um, with respect to certain sins, God, I just pray, God, that you would um, help us to understand that 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 sin is is causing death and and wages have to be paid and wages are 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 being paid um, in the midst of that sin. And um, Lord, give it. Give us the grace to um, to get out of it, um, Lord. I I thank you that that this isn't the end of the story. Thank you that we could learn what we could learn in the first five verses of chapter three today. And Lord, I thank you that Adam and Eve are going to discover they're gonna they're gonna see you as a redeemer and they do not know you as a redeemer as of yet but they will i thank you that that's how the story will go i thank you that we can know you as a redeemer so thank you lord in jesus name amen